night. It's Sunday. People ask me, why you do that, Pastor? I do that because we preach so much now over the air. Uh, people see me and they see the backgrounds and they're not sure what day was this. Is this an old sermon or is it a new sermon? This one's fresh and hot off the griddle. That's what we're going to say. On November the 29th, uh, Sunday here at the church. And yes, that background behind me, for anybody down in Florida that wonders, it's real, right? Uh, one day a moose is going to walk by or something and everyone's going to jump up and run and I'm going to think they're coming to the altar and I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Great move of the Spirit of God. Oh, a moose. <laughs> well, we've done a, a, and started, we're going to went and started a series of messages on characters of Christmas from the Bible. We're on message three. We're on Joseph. We started out with Zechariah, and we, um, we went to Mary last week. Now we're going to Joseph. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Go to verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Man, I love this giant print Bible. Like I said, it, the print's so big I could hold it up and the church could read from it. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and his name, and he called his name Jesus. I want to tell you a little story here. I want to talk about fathers for a minute. It almost sounds like a Father's Day message, but it's not. One summer evening during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small son into bed. She was just about to turn off the light when he asked in a trembling voice because of the lightning and the thunder, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? His mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. I can't, dear, she said. I have to sleep with your daddy. After a long silence, he said, The big sissy. <laughs> I remember that story. It's hung with me. I like it. Good dad story. You know, there are certain sayings that we associate with our fathers. I know I associate them with me. Here are some typical dad quotes, and tell me if they ring a bell with you. Ask your mother. <laughs> I like that one. That's a good one. Don't worry. It's only blood. Do I look like I'm made of money? Any of y'all ever heard these out of a father before? I'm not sleeping. I was watching that show. That's a big one at my house because I'll, I'll fall asleep. But if I hear the channel change, I'll wake up. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I was watching that, right? Um, let's see if I, I've got any here that sound familiar. 
Uh, I'm not just talking to hear my voice. That was my dad's favorite one. I'm not just talking to hear my voice. How about a little dirt never hurt anyone. Just wipe it off. These are dad things. You know, moms don't really do that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let's see. What do we got here? How about this one? Dads are like this. We're not lost. You ever use that one, Phil? We're not lost, right? How about no, we're not there yet, right? That has to do with the clipboard of fun. I've told him about the clipboard of fun before, Terry. All right. How about don't make me stop this car, right? Don't make me stop this car. Now, look, I, I say all those, you know, to bring, they bring a little smile to our face, but I wanted to know what were some of the things that Joseph said. I wanted to look around in the Bible and find Joseph maybe given some little piece of wisdom or some daddy thing, some daddy saying or whatever. You know, I looked in the Bible for a quote from this prominent father in the Bible, and to my surprise, I really found very little of anything that ever came out of his mouth, of anything he ever said. And I thought, well, Lord, if I'm going to do the characters of the Bible and Joseph is one you've led me to, how can I preach if the man never talked? If he never said anything, what can I say about him? Sometimes it's as important what a man doesn't say as it is what he does say. Amen? Think about that with me. I never thought about this before, but Joseph doesn't say much of anything in the Gospels. He listens and he obeys. Are you, are you catching a theme here through these messages with Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah, not so much. He got struck and couldn't talk for nine months, right? Because he wanted to argue a little bit about, about what the name the child. So Gabriel touched him and he couldn't talk for nine months. He couldn't speak until the day it was time to name the child and he put his foot down and said his name will be John, right? But for the most part, Zechariah obeyed. Man did Mary. Mary was famous for hiding things in her heart that God told her. She would hide them in her heart and she would watch God unfold them in her life. That's powerful. But I'm telling you with Joseph, he just listened and he obeyed. Can you say amen? Man, I like this. We might assume his words are recorded somewhere in the Bible. Something else he said because we can imagine the conversations he must have had, especially about Gabriel. Can you imagine the first time they talked and she told him, well, Gabriel appeared to me. I, I just think that's so awesome. Gabriel and Michael, you don't have to read the word very long and look them up and find out that, man, they're right up there in the upper echelon of the angels of heaven. Gabriel himself said so that uh, Mary would understand and Zachariah would understand where he said, I stand in the presence of God and I bring you this message. What he was saying is, first of all, you want to listen to me because my place in heaven is right next to God. I stand by God. And the message he's trying to get across to her is, is this isn't my message. This came from God. And it was Gabriel. Can you imagine the conversations that Mary and Joseph must have had about that visit with Gabriel? I can almost hear him you know, in a, can you hear him in a conversation with the innkeeper? If I'm with my wife, she's pregnant, and I'm looking for a room, I don't want to hear that the only place they got is a barn. You know, but they went there. They were humble people, amen? We can visualize him teaching Jesus about carpentry, though, can't we? But then Joseph fades from history. We don't hear much about him. 
It's widely thought that Joseph was much older than Mary. And when Jesus began his ministry, Mary appears alone. And although the Bible doesn't say she's a widow, we can figure that Joseph has since died. Why? We have no, we have zero evidence. And that means something to me. I was an investigator for many years. I looked for evidence. There's no evidence in the word of God about Joseph falling away. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Joseph fell away from God. No, we just stop hearing about him. And we read about Mary being by herself. She approaches Jesus with her other children, but no Joseph. Well, let's, let's look at that and let's see why it's important. Joseph probably thought his life was pretty well planned. His marriage and his vocation were all arranged neatly for him. But then his world came crashing down. He discovered that his bride-to-be was pregnant. Think about that with me. That's why I say, before he ever had a dream, before he was ever visited by God, he learned that his, uh, his betrothed was pregnant. Wouldn't you feel like your world was coming crashing down on you? His marriage and his vocation were all arranged neatly for him, but then his world came crashing down. He discovered that his bride-to-be was pregnant. We know that Joseph was a man of integrity. He wanted to do the right thing in the right way. He considered divorcing Mary when he learned of her pregnancy, but wanted to do so without calling attention to the reason, whereas he could have had her publicly disgraced or even stoned to death for adultery. Instead... He risks being questioned about Mary's pregnancy, and he marries her anyway. In those days, a marriage contract was worked out between families, and the engaged couple continued to live with their parents till their wedding. The townspeople could well have thought Mary and Joseph didn't wait till their wedding. Joseph protected their reputation by moving up the wedding date, and the Roman census took them far away from the town's questioning eyes. Although Joseph came from the royal lineage of King David, we learned that thanks to the gospel genealogy, we can easily picture him as a humble man. The brief portrait of him in the scriptures suggests he is quiet, an unobtrusive man, available when needed, willing to endure hardship and disappointment. Those are the things I learned by looking at the brief synopsis of his life. But those things make sense. He didn't argue with the angel. Or he didn't argue about the dream. He just, he listened and he obeyed. Looking forward to fathering his own child, Joseph was faced with being a stepfather to a child not his own. I believe that he accepted the humbling circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. He trusted the providential care of God every step of the way. He didn't have any parenting books. He didn't have Isaac Johnson around to help him. He didn't have any training on how to be a father to the Son of God, but he possessed faith and he possessed compassion. Bible scholars portray Joseph as an effective provider and protector of the family. A Sunday school was putting on a Christmas pageant, which included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the end. One of the boys wanted very much to be Joseph, but when the parts were handed out, a boy he didn't like was given that part. And he was assigned to be the innkeeper instead. He was pretty upset about this, but he didn't say anything to the director. During all the rehearsals, 
he thought what he might do on the night of the performance to get even with his rival who got to be Joseph. Finally, the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph came walking across the stage. They knocked on the door of the inn and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them gruffly what, what they wanted. Joseph answered, we'd like to have a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw the door open wide and said, great, come on in. I'll give you the best room in the house. <laughs> you got to think about that. You know, the boy who didn't want to be the innkeeper decided he would change the lines anyway. <laughs> Tough crowd. We'd like a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw the door open wide and said, great, come on in. I'll give you the best room in the house. For a few seconds, poor little Joseph didn't know what to do. Thinking quickly on his feet, he looked inside the door, past the innkeeper, then said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. <laughs> Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. <laughs> and once again, the play was back on track. In all the Christmas pageants performed, Joseph doesn't get a starring role, but it, he, his, he's important. His part is important. Amen? His task is to watch over Mary and the baby Jesus. Joseph had the, the important role of caring for the needs of others. When our lives take a nasty turn, we cry out like Joseph must have cried out, God, how can this be? Everyone seemed to say that to the messenger from God. When God would tell him what's about to unfold, they would say, how can this be? Mary said, how can this be? I've never known a man. How could she, a virgin, give birth to a child? And Joseph must have said that at some point. God, how can this be? But like Joseph, we hear a still, small voice from God saying, Trust me, God's ways are not always our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we may never understand everything that God is doing this side of heaven. But God says, Trust me, and all things will work together for good. It's been said the best thing a father can do for his kids is to love their mother. Joseph's love for Mary reflected a different definition. Here's what I want you to know. Very personal for me. Um, I had a whole sermon written out about Joseph, and I didn't like it. Friday morning, I got up, I did this live broadcast, and instead of laying back down for a nap, I decided I'm going to look at this sermon again. And I want, to, I want to hear from God. I want to know something different that God wants to say. And I'm reading about this man, Joseph, who didn't put up much of a fuss. I mean... He really didn't question the dream that God gave him. He really didn't uh, spend too much time on all of this, how could this be stuff, because we'd know about it. It had been recorded. It, it would be there. You could read about it, right? But this man obeyed God, took his wife to be his wife, amen, did not touch her physically that way until after Jesus was born, and then they began to give birth to their own children. Does that make sense to you? I mean... That, that's a patient man. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Isn't that a patient man? Don't we think that patience is part of this man's life? And the Lord began to speak to me about something. So I turned where God led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't know of, of really anybody who met the criteria of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, like Joseph did. Isn't that a powerful thought? I mean, what does it say? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. Isn't that our Joseph? Is, not, is that not our Joseph? Amen. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think Joseph really met a lot of the qualities mentioned in that chapter, don't you? And how do we know that? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. Even Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what is he saying? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Isn't that really what it means? That Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll, you'll do what I tell you to do. Or, and, and if he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Isn't a word from Christ, by the Spirit of God to us, a commandment. Amen? It's orders, marching orders, amen? And we need to obey. Instead of being indignant, Joseph accepted this child as his own. Joseph accepted the revealed will of God. He followed the instructions. Now listen, that's, a, that's a, another thing I notice about him. What, what he did for Mary and for the baby Jesus... It was no small task. Watch this. He followed the instructions, journeying from Nazareth to Bethlehem, then to Egypt, then back to Nazareth. Do you see there's a lot of traveling going on here, right? We can easily picture Joseph receiving his son as a gift from God. Joseph became a father to the Messiah who would teach us all about the acceptance and the grace of God. Joseph, and notice this, you've got to go back we don't have time for this this morning, but I challenge you. Go back and look at the original Greek rendering. For some reason, whenever Joseph was said what to call Jesus, there was an order there for him to name the child. You think maybe Mary, who carried the child for nine months, she get no. The order to Joseph, that earthly adoptive father of the Messiah, he was ordered, you name him. You name him Jesus. You call him Jesus. One part says, and they will call him. You know why they did that? Why they will? Because Joseph named him Jesus. All right? Archaeologists have uncovered ruins of Sephoris. It was a thriving city near Nazareth. And what they found out, it's believed that Joseph spent much time there working on carpentry jobs, probably with his son, Jesus. When Jesus returned to his hometown, the people responded, isn't this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? 
right? Now, you can, you, can, you know, I've, I've built him up a bit, you know, but if I said to you this question, was Joseph a perfect father, everyone in this room could say no, right? I mean, was, is any of us in this room perfect parents, you know? Well, I could say that Joseph wasn't a perfect father. No, of course not. We're told that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had children of their own. Now, listen to this about the children. The only evidence we have about his brothers and sisters are this. We're told that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had children of their own, and they did not become believers in Jesus until after his death and resurrection. Think about that. You know, it's kind of a powerful comment. They grew up in the house with him, and it's possible that some of them resented him. Does that make sense to you? Look, I, I held resentment for my brothers at times, and they were not Jesus. <laughs> I held resentment against them, you know what I'm saying? And they couldn't do the things Jesus could do. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, uh, I think that's an interesting concept to ponder maybe on your own later. In spite of what their parents tried to tell them of their older brother's miraculous birth, they refused to accept it, especially James. If you study James, parents can teach their children, but they cannot give their children faith. They can tell their kids how to live, but they can't make them moral persons. They can baptize their children, but they can't make them believe. They can love their children, but they can't give them eternal life. Now, we know all of those things can help, amen? And it's our responsibility to do those things, to train, to teach, to, to uh, give example of our own lives to them, amen? But we can't force salvation even on our own children. You know, uh, the influence of parents is so important, but we individually choose to accept or reject faith in God, and that's what Jesus' brothers and sisters did until after his death, and his resurrection. And thank, you we, and thank God we have record that some of them did become believers, if not all of them. You know, there's a lot I'd like to know about Joseph. I'd like to know, I'm a, I'm a history buff, I'd like to know where and when he was born, how he spent his days, what he said, when and how he died. The last we hear of him is when he made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem with Mary, and Jesus, when Jesus was 12 years old, and at the last time we ever hear about him in the Word. He was apparently a man of few words, but he did what he was supposed to do. I want to read that again. He was apparently a man of few words, but he did what he was supposed to do. We don't know much about Joseph. We're pretty sure he wasn't afraid of thunderstorms. Amen. You can't be a fearful man and do what he did. Amen? To accept the challenge that he accepted and to obey the word he was given, he could not have been a man buried in doubt, fear, and unbelief. Amen? Scripture has left us with the most important knowledge of who he was. Verse 19 was, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly, even before he knew the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He wanted no harm to come to Mary. That's powerful. That is a man in a day and age where 
If he had been like the typical Jewish man of the day, he would have drug her out in the street and got people to help him kill her. Stone her to death. But it said, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph may have thought that being righteous involved doing the proper thing. He found out that it is also about being the right person. Amen. I've got five takeaways here in closing. Not a big expounding on any of them. I, I'm just asking you to look at them with me and see if we're right, you know, from what we've read in the Scripture. Could these things be true about Joseph? And what are we learning? We're looking at people like Zechariah. We're looking at people like Mary. And we're looking at people like Joseph. And I'm encouraging you to understand God, God has done these things. Jesus was birthed. He was raised. He lived. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. And salvation has been provided for us through that method, right? But how many of you in this room believe God's through doing big things in the world? He's finished. He's, he's, he's done. I'm not talking about doing things that, on the caliber of the only begotten Son of God living on this earth again. But I am convinced that God's not finished doing big things. Even in the face of the COVID virus and the year we're having and how we feel sometimes when we wake up in the morning. Hey, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm tired. You ever been there? Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm going, oh, this COVID virus thing is still here. It's COVID fatigue. I mean, you get, I'm sick and tired of it. Aren't you sick and tired of it? Yet I'm patient with God. God can do what he wants to do. But I'm telling you that God's not finished doing big things. And what if God just dropped it in your heart one day that he has some kind of ministry for you? Are you going to argue with him? Are you going to try to tell him like so many people in the Bible who was there, they're there for examples for us to keep us from doing what they did, which is argue with God. If God lays something on our hearts, it's not going to be anything on the Calvary level of you know, uh, virgin birth or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't need that anymore. Amen? That need's been met. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is, though I believe there are a lot of other big things God still wants to do. And what is he going to find when he drops that in your heart? What's he going to hear from you when he drops that in your heart? Now, what do we know about Joseph? Because we need to think about our lives. Joseph was evidently mature. I used to always wonder why, when you saw paintings, artist renderings and paintings of Joseph, I don't know where they got the idea from, but he always looked older. He had a gray beard, gray in his beard. I mean, the pictures I've seen the, of the paintings, the renderings. Why artists were led to do that, I'm not really sure, because we know that he didn't live evidently much past that visit of of Jesus being 12 years old and going to the temple. Amen? I mean, we don't have any other evidence. of. And I believe that it wasn't a young kid that God came to and gave the dream about Mary. Do you understand what I'm saying? If he was not a mature man, he sure got me fooled. Amen? So he was evidently mature. He was evidently responsible. I mean, I just don't feel that he did anything in his life 
that ever made Mary and Jesus feel like they couldn't have confidence in the one God chose to help guide and lead and direct and protect in Christ's life. What, what a responsibility. I believe he was also, and it's evidently, I use the word evidently over and over again, evidently he was compassionate. We've already talked about it. He could have had Mary stoned, killed, right? And according to the law, he'd have been justified, right? But he was compassionate. He was evidently disciplined enough to practice restraint. Amen? And he was evidently obedient to God. Now, if we can say those things about our lives, when God brings that extraordinary thing to us that he wants us to do, that's different. It's different. You know, you, you may think to yourself, you don't have enough money or you don't have the, the gifts or the talents. If Jesus gives the call, he brings the equipment. Amen. I love to tell this story about a missionary friend of mine that was in Belgium. This was 35, 40 years ago. Terry Rayburn. Terry was a missionary in Belgium. He said, listen to me carefully. When God called me first to go to Belgium, it was simple. It was easy. Being a missionary in Belgium was easy, he said. It was easy work. Wasn't really anything challenging to it. I mean, people weren't trying to run me down and kill me in the street in Belgium. Uh, he said, we could preach the gospel freely there in Belgium. He said, but one day God laid it on my heart to go to Beirut, Lebanon. How many of you know 35 years ago, Beirut, Lebanon, there was some work to be done there, and it wasn't going to be easy, right? But God put that burden in Terry's heart to go to Beirut, Lebanon. And he told God, I don't have the money. I don't even have a plane ticket. I don't have the support base. I, don't, I can't get to Beirut, Lebanon. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He said, that day I went and got the mail out of the mailbox, and then there was an envelope opened up, and there was the exact amount of money I needed in the form of a check to get to Beirut, Lebanon. So he said, man, I was so excited, you know. He said, I went to the airport. In a few days, he said, I, I had all my bags, I had everything packed. He said, I bought my ticket, I, bought, I had my ticket. He said, I got on the plane, and I was sitting on the plane, and he told me this story to my face. He said, I was sitting there in that chair. And he said, I broke down because he said, I was feeling a little smug. You hear what I'm saying? He said, I was feeling a little smug. God laid something on my heart and life. And he said, now a few days later, I'm on the plane. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He said, I was feeling pretty good about myself. He said, until God told me, Take the envelope out of your pocket and look at it. And the postage stamp on that envelope, God had sent that money 10 days before he ever heard the call. God had already worked out the details. He said, I didn't feel so smug after that. I didn't feel so much like I had been some great man doing some great thing. God made the call and he had already sent the money. And it had been in the mail 10 days before I ever, I ever, you know, he said, all I had to do was just get on the horse and ride. You know, God provided it all. God took care of it. Well, if God lays something big on your heart, I, mean, I can't even stand here and begin to tell you what that might be. I don't know. I, I wouldn't dare want to do that or try that because I'm a small thinker compared to God. 
right? I'm a small thinker compared to God. Each individual has to ask God, what do you want me to do? And look, don't be surprised. Most people are asked to do small things when they first reach out to God. Why not? So great exercise happens with small things first. Amen? If you don't obey God in the small things, how much good are you in trying to obey Him for the big things? Don't be surprised if He starts out small. Builds from there. Amen? You learning anything? I hope so. It's every pastor's heart's desire that prays and asks Him to Give them word to give the people that you give them words to give life and that change things. I don't always get it right. But I'll tell you what, today I'm going to brag on God. That one was right. We need to listen. We need to obey. Amen. We need to listen. We need to obey. No matter how small or how big the task is, God lays on our heart. Well, if you're going to let me pray for you, I want you to stand. I'm just going to lift you up to the Lord. I'll be so glad when this pandemic thing is over with and we can spend time around the altars of God talking to, these things, uh, talking to God about these things. Amen? Until then. Father, we love you so very much. I want to thank you, Lord, for this time that you gave us to be together today. Lord, I just want to blurt this out. We love you so much. But Lord, we talk about this love we have for you in our hearts, but we need to learn more. We need to love more. We need to embrace you more. It's about relationship. Father, we want to go deeper with you. We want to be sensitive to the things you're saying to us. There are a lot of preachers that won't talk to their people about things like calls and orders and commands and wishes for our lives. Because, oh, we're in the middle of a COVID virus. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Father, you know what you've laid on my heart about leading this church to move forward no matter what's in our way. We want to do that for your glory. Father, as I looked out across this room today, I see people that we love so very, very much. Father, I want to thank you for touching Kathy Sterner and strengthening her and speeding up the healing processes of her body over this uh, crack in this bone. Father, in Jesus' name, heal her. Father, watch over Terry and Patty as they travel home tomorrow. Keep them safe. You've protected us from the COVID virus and you've protected them from the COVID virus, but we don't take that for granted. We continue to thank you, Father, for your hand of protection, your love that watches over us. Father, thank you for Cheryl Shakespeare and Mike. Father, I, I want to thank you in a way that you know, the need they face, Lord, caused people all over this nation to be lifting their up in prayer every day for a month. Some people haven't prayed every day for a month in their lifetime. But I thank you, Lord, that people prayed for Cheryl and for Mike. Continue to strengthen him and watch over him and, and uh, introduce yourself to him in a special way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Just let him know he's loved and he's cared for. Watch over Malcolm and Vicki. Heal them, I pray in Jesus' name as Malcolm had been exposed at work to the COVID virus, and his symptoms have been light, but Vicki, Father, you know what she's going through. I pray that you would touch her right now in Jesus' name. Lift this pain from her body, I pray. I speak words of healing humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Grow our faith, Father, in this area, not so that we can tell you what to do, but so that we can line up with your will and your word, Father. 
So we speak to you about these things humbly in the name of Jesus, but we thank you ahead of time because we know you hear our prayers when we call out to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I want to pray for Ronnie right now as uh, their group are raising funds to feed hungry people, families, and to bring gifts to homes for children. Help us to be a part of that next week when we receive an offering for that ministry. I want to thank you, Father, that there were two churches that were taking up offerings for a needy church uh, that Paul was involved in. One of the churches was very wealthy, and they gave out of their wealth, but not until they'd heard that the other church in another city, a poor church, was also giving of all that they had to bless and meet the need in a third church. So, Father, I pray that we're not the only ones trying to reach out to these needs, but you also, Father, are blessing other churches to rise up in the name of Jesus to meet these needs. We pray for Pastor Naveen in India, and we pray for the church there that lifts up the name of Jesus. Watch over Pastor Naveen, his wife and children, protect them from the COVID virus and from persecution, because there's much of that in India today against Christians and Muslims. Father, may you protect the Muslims to the point that they see the hand of Christ operating in their lives for your glory. Feed the hungry, Father. Save the lost. And for every church in this world that lifts up the name of Jesus, be there, Father. Now help us to be like Joseph, Father. More quiet, more obedience. Less noise, more obedience. Less noise, more obedience for your glory. Watch over us as we depart from this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Be in our homes, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you and fellowship together before you leave this place today.